You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today we are doing the same thing we've been doing the last couple days. The question was posed in the Facebook group. Everybody went around and answered it, and I'm going to comment on the answers. The extra benefit of this one, I didn't even have to think of the question. Cody in the Facebook group asked me a question. I ignored it. Everybody else answered it. And now I'm going to use that as my episode. That's next level podcasting right there. 3D chess, ladies and gentlemen. Is it rude to ignore people? Yeah. But Cody just did this whole episode, so I think that's kind of cool. And a ways, if you'd like to uh, call in with any questions or comments and are not in the Facebook group, which shame on you if you're not. Uh, but if you'd like to get a hold of me, 608-501-0718. You can't actually get a hold of me, but you can leave me a message or text that number, and I can put it on the uh, the podcast for you. Otherwise, click on the old link of links there, linktree.com forward slash Packernet. Actually, it's linktr.ee forward slash Packernet. And that's where you can find all the fun little places to get some merchandise and uh, support the podcast. Join the Facebook group, by the way. All that is there for your enjoyment, including the donation to me. That is for you, for your enjoyment. It's going to be so much fun. Just try it. You'll love it. No refunds. Anyways, let's take our break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the question posed to the Facebook group is, what is the Packers' biggest challenge to overcome in 2019? I honestly don't have an answer myself to this question yet, but maybe by the end of going through a few of these suggestions, I'll uh, I'll narrow it down. But the first response is from Mr. Sean Luke. 100% the offensive operations between Lafleur, Rodgers, and Hackett. And of course, winning on the road. A close second, which I think might be third. A close third is getting the defense off the field on third downs. So I, I really have a hard time... And we'll see what happens as we go along. But I, I have a hard time thinking that something's going to take the place of what Sean Luke said was number one, which is the offensive operations between Lafleur, Rodgers, and Hackett. Because as I said, this team, no matter what, everything runs through Aaron Rodgers. If he is on point and if this offense is working, which is why this was phrased kind of perfectly, the most important people, Lafleur, Rodgers, Hackett, but offensive operations is the key because offense is the most important thing. Aaron Rodgers is the most important piece. Lafleur would be a very close second because he's the one actually calling the plays. And the way that this system works, and it's why we don't know yet if Lafleur is the guy, as I've said, 
backtracking, I guess, a little bit. Bill Belichick is good, not because of the Earhart Perkins system. It's because he runs that system, but also is able to just just his mind is on a different level. It's it's about the game plan going in. It's about adapting. It's about calling plays in a certain order and a certain everything has a logical process to it. Lafleur understands conceptually how this works, but can he actually do it on game day? Prior to a game, can he study this team with the people that he has around him? And obviously, Patton is going to be the guy that does this for the defense, and that's a separate issue. Don't want to get too far off track. He can probably do it. We don't know 100%. New era, new everything. So anyways, can Lafleur be the guy to take these principles and actually apply them? Right, He has to be able to morph them, first of all, to make it fit the Green Bay Packers and the roster that we currently have, and specifically Aaron Rodgers, but also can we game plan going into a game, in other words, have the right, uh, well, plan, but then beyond that, as the game goes on, can you call the right plays in the right order with the right thought process and make sure Aaron's up to speed on the right pay, all of that stuff, right, that's the offensive operations. I can't imagine anything being more crucial than that because even if if that's the only thing that really improves this team already has a chance of being in the playoffs if that doesn't improve and the defense is top five I'm willing to say right now we don't make the playoffs if if, if this is the 2018 Packers offense all over again and the defense is top five we do not make the playoffs bottom line and it's not just Aaron Rodgers playing well right pro football focus said last year that they believed Aaron Rodgers was still playing at a relatively high level. They still called him elite. It was the offensive operations. It was it was the play calling. It was the route running. It was people's understandings of what to do, why to do it. Just calling ridiculous plays. Just no real logical process to anything at all. I'm stealing that from you if I can remember it, by the way. Offensive operations. Because that's what I've been stumbling my way through trying to say for a long time without coming with... Coming up with that term, that's exactly what needs to be fixed. Uh, winning on the road, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I just don't put that high enough on my list of, um, I, I, I don't know. I feel like if you, if we skip that one and look at getting the defense off the field on third downs and look at offensive operations, I'm not super worried about the road. That kind of takes care of itself in my mind. The road's always going to be a little bit harder. I kind of see that as sort of fluky in a way. Yeah, we couldn't win on the road. I think that's in part because we were just a terrible team. And when you're a terrible team and you're on the road, which means it's a harder game, so you're facing tough opponents, you don't have any tools to win, and it's harder because of the traveling, because you're not at home, because of the change in environment, because of the home field advantage of the other team, all that. You're going to win, or you know, you're going to win less games. So out of eight, if you lose eight or however many we lost, I don't know if we ended up winning one at one point or not. I I don't know. I I. I'm sure there's some coaching that can go on and some preparation that could have gone on to improve that a little bit. I just see that as something that naturally follows something else that needs to be fixed prior to that. So, I mean, obviously it's important. If you can't win on the road, you lose eight games, you're not getting into the playoffs. And then his uh, close second slash third would be defense getting off the field on third downs. Um, It's hard to say that. I mean... First of all, it's a question of how high up is just defense getting better, and then what specifically defensively do you want to focus on? Obviously, that's really important. Um, you know, turnovers, the turnover ratio is incredibly important. Pressures in general are important, primarily because it helps you get off the field on third down and generates, you know, interceptions and things of that nature. But pinpointing what exactly which thing, I, I don't know, you can call it whatever you want. I mean, if we want to be super broad in general, Pretty obviously, we can say offensive operations are number one, defense is number two, you know, defensive production, defensive operations, whatever. But yeah, I think uh, offensive operations for sure. So Jason says, unfamiliarity with scheme, and I I think this is actually, see, I'm going to keep changing my mind. This this is going to compete, and it kind of falls in with offensive operations, right, because unfamiliarity with your scheme is going to hamper your ability to have adequate offensive operations. I feel like I'm using a lot of, you know, big words there. But he, so here's the entirety of what he says. Unfamiliarity, that word, I tell you what, in their own scheme, new offense for everyone on that side of the ball, new special teams, new defense for at least four starters on that side of the ball. And I would even go on to say that's where he ends it. At best, at absolute best, there are a handful of players, Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, 
Kyler Fackrell, um, King, Jackson, Jair, uh, Burks, and Blake Martinez. It sounds like a lot, but those are the only guys who have more than one year experience with their main coordinator, and it's only only one year of experience. So at best, we've got about a quarter of this team that has one year experience with their offensive core. Maybe it's a little more than a quarter or whatever, but with their coordinators. It's going to cause problems. That doesn't mean it has to be bad. I think, you know, again, Nagy came in. I thought he did a great job with the Bears. I'm sure there were a couple little wrinkles here and there that got a little bit, but it looked like right out of the gate, they they just were firing. You know, LaFleur, when he, or excuse me, um, um, McVeigh when he went over to the Rams, there wasn't much of a of a problem getting them going from one of the most historically garbage franchises to being one of the most dominant teams in the NFL, just just like that. You know, you can look at guys like Andy Reid and and just anyone in that lineage, um, Doug Peterson, uh, Frank Reich, right? And and the good thing is a lot of these are when you look at the guys from these successful. Uh, schemes that the Andy Reid tree, tree, which is Matt Nagy, Frank Reich, and Doug Peterson. So not only is it Andy Reid went over there and was awesome, but everybody that left that tree went out and was awesome. Then you got Shanahan; he's going off on his own. I don't know how necessarily successful it's been. He's had a really bad stretch of bad luck with injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't think anyone would call him a bad coach. And obviously McVeigh goes off, and he's unbelievably successful. So the track record of these guys who who have who really have a good understanding of these new modern concepts and schemes, even though the Reed and Shanahan tree are very different, seemingly they are very successful. And it's not exactly like, uh, what's his name, Zach Taylor with the Bengals. I mean, I would be a little more worried about that. Zach Taylor's, uh, you know, he's, he's younger. He was just a quarterback coach. I don't think he was ever even an offensive coordinator. Maybe last year he was like quarterback slash offensive coordinator. I'm not exactly sure. But I'd have more reservations about him than I would LaFleur, who's just been immersed in this. I mean, he was under Kyle Shanahan's wing for a long time. I mean, he was he was basically Kyle Shanahan's number two, even when Kyle Shanahan was just the offensive coordinator in um, Arizona. Then he goes on to be, you know, whatever. So he's been immersed in at a relatively high level for a pretty long time. Um, so he, he should be he should be just next in line. I mean, he if he fails. And and I'm I'm not just talking about in general. I'm talking about if he fails year one, he's one of the few, because you just you don't see very many examples recently of guys that are coming from these trees failing in their first year. Right? You might have you know the the old school guys and especially defensive coordinators and all that type. Those guys fail left and right. These guys are not doing very well, which is why you see you know and everybody talks about how dumb it is, but I mean it's it's unbelievable the track record. As I just said, and I did a whole other podcast about it several months ago looking at that, you look at the last several coaches that are hired, almost every single old school coach who's got all the, the resumes and all this stuff, like Vic Fangio, as much as I love him as a defensive coordinator, Pagano going over as defensive coordinator, if he were to have been hired as a, as a head coach or whatever. You look at Todd Bowles, I mean, unbelievably successful defensive coordinator, but as a head coach, that had to have been one of the worst displays of coaching I've ever seen in my life. It's just a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And again, everybody on the other side of it, success, 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 got to be careful saying that too many times, just nonstop success. So it does make sense to just go out and say, look, I'm just going to bite on it. And Lafleur was was top of the list. I mean, again, the resume is incredible. He's not like the, the the towel boy over there for the Rams for two years. He's been immersed in this for a long time. He fully understands it. So we'll have to see. I mean, there's, there's going to be problems. Like I said, when, when LaFleur went over to Tennessee, it, it did look a little choppy as far as the operations. And it's going to be tough for Aaron Rodgers, who's used to just taking his time as much as every single one of us wanted to collectively strangle him for taking such a long time. So many... He has less time now. He has about half the amount of time. He has to call two plays, which is going to take longer. He's got to get up to the line. He's got to, you know, we, we're, we're going to be using motion, which takes time in itself. He has no time. Call the play, get to the line, get moving. Not, you can't stand there and analyze and do all this other stuff. And that was usually the problem. But the benefit is, and I'm not saying anything bad about Mariota. I'm sure he's a great quarterback and an incredibly intelligent person. But Aaron Rodgers 
and his ability to think through stuff. That was part of the problem with Tennessee is there was confusion. You know, what do I do here? What about this? And it just he, he got flustered. He just called a timeout, which was smart, and it usually worked out fine because LaFleur called plays and guys were open, and they would convert the, the third and, and seven. So the timeout was worth it because you convert the third and seven, you keep marching down, and then you either get a touchdown or a field goal. It was, it was beautiful to watch. It was the exact opposite of the Packers, which are, you know, all sizzle and no steak. Right, you know, they they got all the flash, and you see them scrambling around and all the crazy stuff. But when it mattered, when you had to convert the third down, when you had to get a touchdown, whatever, it just didn't work. The Titans were the exact opposite, and I haven't watched every single game, but just go back and watch Week One. Granted, it's Miami, but still, first down, not very much. Second down, maybe a few yards here or there. Third and and medium to long, which is where the Packers were just terrible and just could not find a way to make it work. They made it look so easy. With, with wide receivers that are not as good, with a quarterback that's not as good, with an offensive line that's not as good. Just just simple. Drop back. Hey, there's the open guy. Throw it. Boom. Done. Because LaFleur did the work prior to. So that's that's a long way around saying um, what it is I had to say. But I, I, I genuinely think the offense is going to be okay with a few hiccups, but not so bad that it just comes to a grinding halt. You know, you, you can manage a couple hiccups. If you got a punt once because somebody did the wrong thing one time, that's fine. As long as you're operating at a high level the rest of the, the game, you'll you'll be fine. And as far as defense, I'm encouraged enough by what I saw. The guys that you expect to play well, I think, played well. The guys that you didn't, didn't, right? You know, Mike Daniels was in his first year. I know he was hurt, but he played well. Um, Kenny Clark was in his first year. He did well. Jair was in his first year in the NFL with a new coordinator. He did really well. I think Preston and Zadarius are professionals. They're going to be smart enough to be able to handle this. I think they're going to do fine. Kyler is in his second year. He thrived under Mike Pettin, which is maybe not talked about enough, at least not by me, the fact that he wasn't very good. And then his first year with Mike Pettin, all of a sudden he's getting double-digit sacks. That might be a little bit more significant than I've been highlighting. Um, you know, so I, I just I, I, I don't know that the defense is going to be that problematic. Obviously, we've heard guys like Blake Martinez saying it's very confusing and almost to the point where they were like they didn't like it because it didn't make sense until they went along and it was like, oh, okay, I understand there's similar to what LeFleur is doing. There's a logical process to what we're doing. You look at a play call and it's like, this is a dumb play call. Why are we doing this? Because in the grand scheme of things, there's a bigger picture that a lot of the guys weren't seeing. And, and, and that's only important for certain people like Blake Martinez to be able to understand those kinds of things. You know, Mike Daniels on third and, and and nine, pretty simple. Get the quarterback, right? The the grand scheme of anything, who cares? Go get the quarterback and put him on his back. At the end of the day, it comes down to just play, and that's why I'm encouraged because at the end of the day, these guys can play. Preston's a good player. Zadarius is a good player. Kenny Clark and, and Mike Daniels and Jair and Amos and hopefully Savage and Gary and the rest of these guys, hopefully they're just they're just good players. And if you ask good players to just play, they'll figure it out. That was a lot of talking, but Jason's absolutely correct that unfamiliarity in the scheme can be a very, very big problem. These are a lot of young guys working in very new schemes, but I trust that they'll figure it out enough that we can still get through the early part of the season. Um, because at the, at the early part, everybody's messing up. Everybody's messing, you know, doing dumb stuff. It doesn't matter. You know, the Packers look terrible at the beginning of the season. We've had the same players with the same coaches over and over and over. It's a lack of practice. Everyone's messing up. So at, at that point, it's just a matter of who's better. That's the time in which you empty out your bag of tricks and you run up the score, you know, 42 to, to 28 because it's just madness in September. But through that process, we'll start to, to hone it in. So it does scare me. But I think they're gonna. I think they'll get through it. Well, I guess we'll find out. Mike just says twelve. <laughs> the biggest challenge to overcome in 2019 is Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I don't know. It, I don't really see him as a challenge to overcome. Obviously, a lot of people do because of his personality and the way he goes about things. I, I stand by what I've said. I, I would prefer him to be a little different in his character and in his demeanor. I would like him to be more of a leader, to be more vocal, to be more positive, to be more encouraging, even when things aren't down, to be the one guy on the field that's encouraging people because everybody's looking up to you, right? When everybody else's face is down, you're cheerful and like, let's go, you know, like a lot of guys in the NFL, Brett Favre was a little bit better with that. 
But at the same time, I believe that if you are a competent person, Aaron Rodgers will play for you. Aaron Rodgers will play hard. He will trust you, and things will work. If LaFleur can be competent and do a good job calling the right plays at the right time and everything else, I don't see him as being a problem. If his wide receivers can play and do what they're told to do, if the offensive line and if the running backs and everybody's just doing what they're told, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to play hard, and I think Aaron Rodgers is going to absolutely dominate. He has zero patience and zero tolerance for incompetence, and that's the bottom line. And again, I wish it wasn't that way. He needs to kind of man up a little bit and stop pouting. I understand being in in that position where I'm the only one putting in the work, I'm the only one putting in 110, I'm the only one, only one, only one, and I'm tired of it. I am doing this and this, and I demand everyone else be up to my standard because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of watching incompetence. I get that, but I also don't care. You got to man up and you got to change your demeanor and just do what it takes to win. And that doesn't always just mean grind. It, it, it means different things. You got you to gotta be a coach. You got to be a leader. And if you don't want to do that, it hurts your team. Bottom line. Should it hurt your team? No. Everyone should just be a grown-up and understand, look, I got to do my job and I don't need to look at Aaron Rodgers with puppy eyes and please make me feel better. <laughs> Dude, go do your job. Get away from me. I get that. But again, it is what it is. People need encouragement. People want to hear you say you're doing a good job. When somebody messes up, just look at them say it's fine. We'll get them next time. Whatever it takes. I would prefer that, but it's not what it is. And I again, Aaron Rodgers and everything else is going to go downhill if everything goes downhill. As, as much as that seems ridiculous and, and circular, it, it's just if everything working... Aaron Rodgers is like a multiplier in a way. If, if things are going poorly, if people aren't putting in the work, if LaFleur's scheme isn't working, Aaron Rodgers is going to exacerbate the problem. He's going to make it worse. However, on the other hand, if things are working and guys are putting in the work and, and people are, are where they're supposed to be on the field and LaFleur is calling great plays, Aaron Rodgers is a multiplier in the other direction. He's going to take a good team and make it excellent. So I guess in response to what Mike had to say, which is just 12... Um, if Aaron Rodgers is a problem, the team is failing. But I, I think it's sort of a cart before the horse. I think some people look at it and say Aaron Rodgers is a problem and causes the problems in Green Bay. I think it's the other way around. When Aaron Rodgers is, you know, pouting and being passive aggressive and doing all this stuff, everything is already broken. Right? We've seen Aaron Rodgers say things like, you know, we're going to run the table. We've seen all that stuff. The reason we never got that proclamation last year is because he didn't actually see it. He didn't believe in it. He knew it was broken. There was no saving this team. He knew that, and he wasn't happy about it. So, I, again, I don't see him as being the one that breaks it. I see him as just being sort of a, you know, he, he's just the canary in the coal mine, man. When he's out there on the field just with his head down, you just know. And when he goes to the podium and instead of saying, look, you guys are wrong, saying we're not a good team, you don't know what I see. You don't see the work being put in. You don't see these guys doing this, that, or the other. This is a good football team. When he goes to the podium and says that, believe in their ability to get back on track, right? relax, the whole R-E-L-A-X. What was that about? The Packers didn't get off to a good start. He said, we're going to be fine because he knew this was a good football team. Last year, we got nothing. And when he went to the podium, he was taking shots at the wide receivers, at the coaches and everything else. It's not like Aaron Rodgers does this every time. He never does this. He's just he's just honest. And that's why I said before, when he, when he said all these things, and everyone's like, why doesn't he just make these proclamations? It's because he doesn't just speak it into existence. He's just telling us what's happening. When he said we're going to run the table, it's because he saw that. When he said relax because we're going to be fine, it's because he saw it. He knows what's coming. He's not going to lie because it, he doesn't just magically manifest these things to happen. So when he goes out and says, the coach isn't doing his job, we're not calling the right plays, the receivers aren't doing the right things, people... That's what he's saying because that's what it is. So, anyways, you get the point, right? If if Aaron Rodgers, if if the if Aaron Rodgers is pouting and things aren't going well and he's not giving us any hope, there's not much hope to be had because he's going to let us know. He do he will. Todd says health. Um, I'm not going to get back into it because I already did that. That's problematic for every team. It, it's really just. I mean, it depends how you, you answer it. And I, I see the, the comment thread, and I know what he means, but I'm going to kind of hijack it a little bit because I don't want to go down the path of, he said it seems like the Packers are worse than others. I disagree. I talked about it. You can find that podcast where I explain that. You can look at this, though, in a very positive way. Health can be an issue if you're a very, very good team. 
Health is an issue if basically it's a matter of if we're healthy, we're going to be Super Bowl contenders. Because then at that point, it's a matter of as long as we don't lose Rodgers or Bakhtiari or Adams or, you know, pick three, four, five other guys that are key contributors. If health is the biggest problem that we have, that's a positive outlook to have because, I mean, if, if it's just a matter of stay healthy and we're fine, that's a pretty good outlook. Again, I don't think that's what he meant, but at some point when you reach a certain level, when you're 2011 Packers, when you're 2012, 13, 14, 15, Green Bay Packers, 2010, whatever, health is an issue. And it, it kind of becomes the only issue. Obviously, you don't want to regress or anything else, but it's just a matter of we are already where we need to be. We just need to stay healthy. With that said, however, I'm going to generally disagree because I do think we're not at that point, and we got to look at things like offensive operation. We have to look at things like defense. we got to look at things like scheme overall. However, in a, in a very plain sense, if we lose Aaron Rodgers, season's over. So... In that regard, yeah, <laughs> health is probably the most important thing. David says, new and first-time head coach and new playbook. Kind of already touched on that. It's it's worded a little bit differently, specifically looking at playbook. And I know that's kind of baked into the, the other one. But the good thing is I don't know that we can really go backwards all that much. I think Devontae Adams wins with his, his route running and things of that nature. I don't think he's going to be hampered by it. Um, the other wide receivers, if they're hampered by it, they don't go backwards because they were hampered by it last year because it was their first year, and our quarterback is exceptionally intelligent. If other quarterbacks like Jared Goff and quarterbacks like Marcus Mariota and, and you know Garoppolo or whoever else or, or Matt Ryan can navigate this sort of playbook, I think Aaron Rodgers can navigate the playbook. There aren't too many people I'm looking at on this team that I'm saying they're going to go backwards from last year because of the playbook. Maybe Aaron Rodgers goes a little bit backwards because he had the other one just completely nailed down. But, you know, assuming the scheme works, I don't know that he necessarily goes backward. And again, his his intelligence level is going to help him to process the playbook. But again, I absolutely agree. That is one of the, the more scary things. The, the, the one good thing about it, though, and I, I know nobody likes to think this way, um, but broadening it out, it's not a forever problem. If it's one of those things where the team improves, but there were some glitches and things that weren't really worked out because it was a first year and you know we got off to a slow start and had a bunch of losses and we couldn't quite get over the hump, that's one of those things that in year two with Mike Pettin and that off that defense dialed in and then you turn around and you have a, another a little bit more time to get more players that fit Lafleur's scheme a little bit more and an offensive draft and and Rodgers has really got this hammered out and the wide receivers and the running backs and the offensive line everybody's on the same page again I know nobody wants to think about 2020 and and give up on 2019 already but again it's just that it's not a long-term problem it's not necessarily a long-term problem it could be a long-term problem but it's something that's fixable John says not playing as a team I don't know if he's (laughs) put that in quotes do I is that how I say it or something Y'all keep making fun of the way I talk. I don't like it. Maybe you and Antonio Brown can go pound sand. How about that? No, but this actually is a really, really, really good point because I I believe, I'm not going to say I know or that we know, but I believe very strongly that there are some toxic things going on in the locker room. I think things that the team has been beaten down. You don't have the leadership issue. Um, we we've, we started to see things devolve really quickly. And again, with Brian Gutekunst coming in, it was pretty clear that he was trying to really clean out this locker room. And again, I, I don't think it should matter all that much, the whole rah-rah thing, but it really does need to be a team, and something's got to spark that. I can see the vision as far as I've mentioned several times, the defensive backs, all real young, athletic, hungry, violent, you know, Jair and Savage and Jackson and all these guys. King has got that edge a little bit. You know, Josh Jackson would have been a good, or uh, Josh Jones. He One of the benefits of him going away is I don't have that confusion anymore. He would have been a good fit in this, but he's probably going to be gone. I can see the vision in which these guys are just, you know, it, they get along really, really, really well. And I can see it with the, the defensive front and just this unit being violent and young and hungry and, and just on fire. And But it doesn't mean it has to happen. There needs to be that, that camaraderie and, and belief. And one of the things HaHa was talking about are, you know, people being here for different reasons. And it really upset him. You got young guys who are in here just trying to get paid. And, and this guy, he's just worried about his next contract. And that's a problem. 
right? At, at the end of the day, you need guys that are coming in here and are concerned with the Packers, right? I, I'm not worried about my contract. My agent's handling that. I'm focused on being a, a Super Bowl champion. I'm focused on helping this team and this unit and this defense and my, my cornerback brothers and, and my DB brothers and all that, whatever. That, that feeling has to be there. And it doesn't just naturally happen. Something's got to spark it. The coach has got to really try to get that going. He's got to get his position coaches, really try to drill that into his guys. And then the guys just have to want it. That's where leadership comes in. Somebody's got to step up, right? I mean, he's, he's really young, and it's just his first year. But one of the real big things that was talked about, I, I mentioned a couple of days ago on Walter Football about Darnell Savage, is he's one of the better leaders some people have ever seen. He just, he's just a natural-born leader. And if you can have that kind of guy drill in that kind of that feeling and that mentality, and, and like anything else, with success, that comes a little bit more naturally. You know, the the breakdown in the locker room I'm sure had something to do with the fact that the team wasn't very good anymore and then it's not about winning it just starts to become more about me the problem is that the cancer is already in there it needs to be taken out and it needs to be scrub clean and there needs to be no remnants left over anywhere and we got to rebuild it from there I think Gutekunst did a really good job of taking the 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 um trying to think of a different word the people that maybe weren't exactly invested in the team out of the situation, you know, out of the locker room, but now it's up to the rest of the people in that locker room to build that. I, I remember when there was that, I think I've referenced it before, but there was a newspaper article that I saw about the wide receivers all going out to Jordy's farm, and I, I couldn't care less about newspapers, but I kept that article because it just felt so different, and I remember thinking, you just don't hear about this stuff. You know, you hear about divas and all this other nonsense, and here in Green Bay, it's just different, right? The the attitude and the environment and the camaraderie and the fact that they all hang out with each other and everybody's just good friends and you hear about the offensive linemen getting together and playing board games like a bunch of dorks. And you hear about the relationship between Rodgers and Jordy and Cobb and Rodgers and they all hang out and they go to each other's weddings and they're all friends. And we got a little bit of that, right? You got Bakhtiari and Rodgers are still really good friends and the offensive line are good friends. And it, it it's it's there, and, and, you know, again, with success, it's going to rebuild itself a little bit. But I, we can't wait until we get into the playoffs for that to happen. It's got to happen week one. It's, it's got to start right away because it's, it's kind of chicken or the egg. If you don't have that camaraderie, you're not going to win. And if you don't win, you're not going to get the camaraderie. Well, that, it, again, somebody's got to artificially stoke this thing. And we know it's not going to be Rodgers because he's not that guy. Somebody's got to get this going. And I think the young guys on defense can make it happen. I don't know who that guy is on offense. Right? You got Jamal who likes to dance and have fun and he's a cool guy. And Aaron Jones, maybe. Um, Devontae's really kind of, he's very vocal in terms of, right, he already called out um, Geronimo is going to be a stud. Uh, I think he he mentioned Marquez is really going to shine. Maybe he was talking about Trevor Davis, about how speed really is going to highlight things. He talked about Savage. He's doing his part and really trying to you know, get guys psyched up and, and get people excited about the uh, the team. But that is important. And, and that's one of those underlying things that we're not really necessarily going to see. It's just a matter of it's, it's not working, and I don't know why. And I think that was a big problem with last year. Like I said, it, it wasn't the greatest roster in the world, and there were problems with Aaron Rodgers, and there were problems with Mike McCarthy. But I think underlying all that was just a dysfunction in the building. The the coaches, the leadership, the players, there was a disconnect between the three groups. There was a disconnect within the groups. It just it wasn't working. And I, you know, and I think that's something to really keep an eye on as well is, is you know, what is the mentality? What, what are we hearing about guys getting along or fighting? Are we hearing about um, positivity, right? Again, the Devante thing I think is important. Hearing that and just, just believing it. Even if it's nonsense and it's just garbage bravado, good. Bring that. Bring all that. You know, I, I want to hear in the preseason. I, again, I, I miss Mike Daniels. I don't know what happened to him last year. You know, him popping off at the mouth. We need that. The Packers need that desperately, and I would love for him to retake that mantle and just be a bad man again. But yeah, we, we need to pay attention to that going in. You know, what is what is the mentality? What what are we hearing? You know, the 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 fake nonsense about how great everybody is is kind of annoying, but it's also kind of important. And and again, you you kind of get that artificial nonsense that isn't necessarily true, but you get guys believing in their own hype long enough to to eke out a win in week one, just enough false bravado, fake it till you make it, to beat the Bears in week one, 
You don't need the, the kindling anymore. This thing is fully ablaze. You, got, you just beat the number one team in the NFC North, maybe the best defense in the entire NFL, um, up-and-coming offense, young quarterback, whatever that's worth. Matt Nagy, everything that's going on about this, everybody's expecting the Bears to win. It's in Chicago. It's on the road. You couldn't win on the road. Just enough to beat that team, and this thing is just off and running on its own. You, you got you got the engine to turn over. You can drive wherever you want now. Moving on. Greg says the maturation of the young guys on the roster, namely the three second-year wide receivers as well as Gary and Savage. I, I, I think, yeah, and, and we can just, ex- there's no need to limit it, extend it out to everybody. As I said, very young team and pretty pivotal position groups. Young wide receivers, very important to the offense, in my opinion. Our ability to go from, you know, being good enough to being really, really dangerous is going to be just, just give me one. I've said it before. Give me one legit wide receiver opposite Devontae Adams. The offense is night and day different. It's hard to win with just one wide receiver. It can be done. But the difference between struggling with just having one guy and then a bunch of not super great wide receivers and having Devontae Adams and a capable wide receiver on the other side is huge. So that is important. Savage, very important. Gary, very important. I think the corners, I think that might be the most important. right? We, we have Amos, we have Adams, we have Preston and Zadarius and Kyler. The corners, though, I mean, you could say we have Jair. But their trajectory and what they become is, I, I think, as far as the young groups, that's the most important one. If every single one of those guys takes a step, if King can stay healthy and, and put on even half of what he showed when he went up against Julio Jones, if Jair can, can consistently play like he did against the Rams, if Jackson can even flash a little bit of what he looked like in college, again, potentially the best DB group in the NFL. But it's all dependent on the young guys and, and, and Savage. But, again, this is we're talking hurdles here, to his point, if they don't turn over, if they don't get over the hump, if our corners are what they were last year, it's not a great group. If Savage and Gary don't step up and, and Amos isn't quite what he was because he's not on the Bears anymore, the DB group as a whole is not very good. You know, Gary not producing is problematic, first of all, because he's an early first-round pick, and that would be a wasted pick. Um, second of all, you know, Depending on what Preston and Zadarius are, I, I feel like I don't know if we have that. I don't want to say Khalil Mack, but let's say Daniil Hunter. I don't know if we have that guy or that that Trey Flowers guy exactly. Maybe Zadarius becomes that guy, but I feel like Gary is the kind of physical, athletic freak that can be that next level. Like Daniel, I mean, really, the best comp for for Rashawn Gary is probably Daniil Hunter. Anywhere in the NFL, the best comp you're probably going to find for Rashawn Gary is Daniil Hunter. If we can get him to be a Daniil Hunter-type guy and Zadarius and Preston can be just what they have been, again, night and day difference. But if he doesn't, right, wide receivers, difference between if they do and if they don't is massive. So, yeah, I mean, and this is why I say the Packers have so many question marks. Going through, these are these these are all great answers. Every single one of these things is, is crucial, and it's not even really worth ranking them. Because there's, again, there's a billion question marks and which way it falls, right? Heads or tails? Heads, Super Bowl bound. Tails, 8-8, eight and eight, right? I mean, it's it's drastic. You know, I mean, the difference between all heads or all tails, one is a Super Bowl, one is 6-7 wins, right? If, if everything goes poorly or if everything goes, and it's going to be a mix, right? Some things are going to hit, some things are going to miss. Depending on which one's which, it'll depend, you know, but... You can fix the the errors later on. You know these were misses. We got a draft for it. You know the wide receivers just can't quite get around the hump. All right, fine. We're you know we're we're looking at uh, you know Jerry Judy. I'm sure he won't fall that far. Um, Chenault out of Colorado. T Higgins, Tillon Wallace, C D Lamb, Colin Johnson. Um, you know we're going wide receiver, which we might anyways. By the way, check out NFLBigBoard.com. I basically it doesn't look very different. I do have a new logo, which is pretty cool. Um, very happy with it, but I also I, I rebuilt the website because it was so unbelievably slow. It was driving me nuts. I tried, you know, paying money and doing things to get it to, to be faster, and it just would not work. So I basically just rebuilt the site and um, just got rid of the old one. It looks exactly the same, you know, a couple little tweaks here and there, but it's a lot, lot, lot faster. So if you used to use it and it just didn't really work very well and it took forever to load, um, this is going to be a lot faster. So 
I'm very, very happy about it. Also, I should probably, I'll, I'll throw this in the Facebook group, and I hate to get away from it, but I, I want to make this announcement. One of the problems that I had before was I had asked for writers for the website, but it was broken so badly because, you know, as much as I like building websites, I'm not super techy. So if I break it, break it, it's just broke. Um, part of the rebuilding it is that it fixed that problem. So now I can bring writers on. I can make new profiles, you know, before people couldn't log in because it was just broken so badly. Now we can. I don't exactly know what exactly I'm looking for. Um, everything's pretty much set. But if you're really, really into the draft and you're really wanting to write and, and you want to work together, you and I, um, I'd like to bring on at least one person, um, just, just somebody who just wants to put it out there, right? Write about prospects, write about film breakdowns. You know, if you want to do film study and do articles breaking down their film and all that stuff. I mean, if you're into that, let me know and, and we'll, we'll do this. You know, it could just be mock drafts, whatever. I don't know. But um, I, I'd like to get NFL Big Board ramping up a little bit. Um, I got the speed up. I got the logo. We're going we're gonna to do it a little bit more properly this time around. Anyways, back to what we're doing. Um, yeah, so Greg, great, great response there from Greg. Next, Charles says, crowd noise on offense in the wave. Kind of ch- tongue-in-cheek, but it's also a raw issue for me because it makes me so angry. Because, listen, I... Uh, I, I really do. T- it, sh- it doesn't matter. You know, I know what I am. I'm, I'm a big fan. I know everybody listening is a really big fan. I know we love the Packers, and I know the Packers are a great team, and I know Packers fans are very loyal. But it, it, it really bothers me when we call ourselves the best fans in the world, and we don't care enough to make noise on a crucial third down. When we can't prevent ourselves from doing the wave and all the... And, I, you know, I know culture's big here in Wisconsin and the way we do things and it's fun and it's family and it's just lighthearted. And we're very kind of meek and mild and timid in a way. You know, we're very... So getting super loud, I don't know if we're ever going to be the loudest. And there's an issue with the way that we... The, the tickets are handled so that you get a lot of older people, whereas younger Packer fans would just burn that place to the ground if they got the opportunity. But it really does bother me, and it's it's something that's very easily fixed. And it's like everybody seems to understand it's a problem, but, I mean, you can't even stand up at Lambeau Field. That, Come on, man. I've said before, I, I, I just about got into a fight. Fortunately, I didn't because I'm pretty sure it was an old lady. But I, I wasn't in my right frame of mind, and I, I barely remember it happening. I just know my friend had to pull me down into the seat and was like, dude, this is just what happens here. You need to, you need to cool it because we just got here. Please don't get thrown out. But I was just, I, I was livid. First of all, it was late December, and literally this cold, freezing metal bench was caked in about four inches of ice. I'm sitting at four inches of ice. I want to stand up. I can't feel my toes. I'm wearing layers, and I, I, I mean, again, not exactly in the right frame of mind. Usually you don't feel pain that much. I could feel it. I could feel it real good. I want to stand up. I want to jump around. I want to scream and make noise. It warms me up, and it's fun, and it helps the Packers. But I got scolded. That's insane. I think one thing I'd love to do, and I'll, I'll probably try to do it the freeway, but if anybody's really good with like making video production type stuff, you should hit me up. I think it'd be really cool and kind of condescending, but funny, and I also don't care. But do a video, and it's a instruction, instructional video, but it's like one of those old-timey black and white, you know those old instructional videos, like the, remember Dodgeball? Bad example, because it's you know not actually an old video. But like the black and white, grainy, hey there, Timmy, jeepers, mister, right? That whole thing. Make one of those videos explaining to Packers fans how to be a fan in the stands and how to act appropriately, right? When the Packers defense is on the field, make a lot of noise, except it wouldn't be me sounding angry. It would be like, the you know, here, let me play it for you because it's funny. Gee, thanks, Patches. I can't wait to start my own team at school. boy, Tiger. But remember, dodgeball is a sport of violence, exclusion, and degradation. So, when you're picking players in gym class, remember to pick the bigger, stronger kids for your team. That way, you can all gang up on the weaker ones, like Winston here. (laughs) Nice one, son. You'll be an all-star yet. Glorious. But yeah, that's kind of what I want to do. And I'm assuming Charles isn't being serious, and neither am I, as far as this being the biggest hurdle. But I feel like it's, it's just, it's, it's 
I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, if your if your company offers you a match and you just don't do it. I mean, it's it's just it's free money, man. Just do it. I mean, this this isn't this is an unfair advantage that every team has when they're at home, but we just don't take advantage of it because I don't know. We want to do the wave on third down when we have the ball. It's it's just a little bit frustrating, and it it really 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 needs to change because it it does make an absolute difference. You hear talk about. I mean, teams will go out of their way to practice really loud noise to try to help you see teams taking time we've seen the Packers take timeouts in Seattle and all these loud places and I know there's the stadium construction makes it I don't care that's a lame excuse make a lot of noise get people flustered if it causes a critical third down to be you for them to burn a timeout it was all worth it it was worth your voice and by the way it's more fun that way for you to actually be able to contribute to the win of the Green Bay Packers. Not to just sit back. You know it's not a movie theater, right? They're literally right in front of you, and they can hear you. I know. I tested it. That same game when we went, we were close enough to the Packers bench. We yelled their names. They turned around and looked at us. It was crazy because they're actually there. And if they can hear you, and you got 80,000 people or whatever the number is screaming at the other team's quarterback when he's trying to talk to the other players and tell them what to do or call an audible and they can't hear, that's helping them win. You're helping the Packers win. You. Not, not, I mean, listen, I know it helps when, when you change your shirt in you know middle of the game because things aren't going well and maybe you change your socks or just take your socks off or whatever it is you got to do to help them win that's crucial and we we've we've got to adhere to those rules but it's even more important that when you're there and look i don't go and i don't pay the ticket and i understand the whole i pay i get to do whatever i want fine then shut your mouth when somebody stands up in front of you because they get to do whatever they want too right okay then i guess not so if they don't get to do what they want then you don't get to do what you want Get off your butt and start screaming. And if you don't want to, I have another solution. Get out of your seat, go back by concessions, grab a $16 bottle of water, and go watch the game on one of the, one of the televisions out in the hallway. Because there's no difference. I mean, I, I really don't get... I don't even really like going to games because I can see the game better from my television. I don't understand paying money to go to a game to just sit and quietly and watch it like you're in your living room, except it's more crowded, it's more expensive, it's way more uncomfortable. You can't see what's going on and you contribute nothing. You just sit there. When you could just be sitting in your couch, on your couch, in your couch, however you sit on your couch is up to you. That's not my point. I'm just... I, I just don't get it. I don't know. It, it's an experience? Fine. But make it an experience. Get crazy, man. I don't know. I Whatever. It drives me nuts. And Charles has a good point. It's, it's probably not top five in the list of biggest things, but um, that does need to get fixed. It really, really, really does. I don't know what it's going to take, but that, that, I mean, we, we have to be 32nd out of 32. Maybe the Rams, although I don't know what's going on. Well, anybody in L.A. right now, but I went to a Rams game when they were in St. Louis. Ridiculous. We got scolded for tailgating. Somebody literally told us, you're not in Wisconsin anymore. And I, they didn't know we were from Wisconsin. They were just making a, a smart aleck remark. And it's like, mm, okay. We got so many dirty looks because we, <laughs> we were tailgating. Ridiculous. But it's still bad. It's still really bad. We, we have a party. And that's the other crazy thing. Packers fans have a party outside of the stadium and are loud and crazy. And there's music and there's polkas and there's drinking and brats and everything else. And then we go inside and it's church. Everybody's quiet. Shh, sit down. Quiet. The Packers are playing. I gotta, I gotta get off this because I, oh, makes me insane. Dominic says it always has been and will be defense. I think you're right to a point. I think from you know, pretty much since forever until 2015-ish, the biggest problem was defense. I think this is one of the few times where you could probably argue that the offense is a bigger question mark. But if we can assume the offense is still going to be pretty solid, like, it, you know, we, we hit a couple road bumps, Rodgers got hurt, and then last year everything just kind of fell apart, but it, we'll get right back, back on track, then yes, it comes down to having that solid defense. But that's only if you want to assume the offense is going to be fine. If, if both are bad, I'm, I'm less concerned with the defense than the offense, even though I know if it's just the offense gets better or not, the defense, we're not going to get very far. 
but it still has to be the number one priority. In 2019, the NFL is all about offense. It's still all about quarterbacks. You might have a hard time winning a Super Bowl with no defense, but you're, you're not even going to get into the playoffs if you don't have an offense. And then finally, the last comment comes from Dave. He says, dropping the football when it's right in the hands, a.k.a. Butterfingers. I know off the top of my head I was frustrated with Jimmy Graham. That's the only one that really stands out. If I look at the drop rate, um, Equinemia St. Brown was one of seven receivers slash tight ends. I made it all of them. That, um, and I, I, uh, so I put in minimum targets. There's a filter, so it's not just a bunch of garbage people. But he's one of seven people that had a drop rate percentage of zero because he didn't have a single drop on the season. And when you couple that with some of those amazing catches that he did have, 21 of 21, really, really impressive. So he's one of only seven that did that, six wide receivers. Um, Devontae ranked 45th, and for context, this is out of 145 players. Jimmy Graham was next, uh, 5.2%. He ranked 57th. Dropped three passes out of 58 total targets. Devontae was five drops on 116 targets, 4.3% drop rate. And then the bottom two were uh, Randall Cobb and Marquez. Um, Both of them were at 9.5% of their passes they dropped. Uh, Both of them were four drops on 42 targets. Uh, Again, 9.5%. They ranked um, 111th out of 143. So that's not exactly how I remember it, but the worst hands we had on this team, and I know Jamon was really horrible, but he didn't even make this list. But the worst hands were Marquez, and I'm not super worried about Marquez. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's a big deal, but we'll have to see. I mean, it, it's going to be big for Jamon because I think Jamon is the forgotten receiver who's actually pretty talented as far as being a, a genuine, you know, route running and all that kind of, you know, wide receivery stuff. But his hands were terrible. Actually, if I add in um, preseason, Geronimo makes the cut, and he actually was 133rd out of 159, so he was the lowest. He had three drops on 28 targets. I'm trying to get Jamon in here, and I got Geronimo. See, and even even that I'm remembering wrong. And and maybe it's a PFF thing. You know, some of them, if it's a bad enough throw, they're going to put it on the quarterback. But according to this, they have him with only one drop in the preseason and in the regular season. So 21 targets, one drop in the regular season or in the preseason, that puts him at 4.7%. Add in his three targets in the regular season, he's at 4. Point, basically 4.2%, and that's exactly what Devontae Adams was, 4.2%. So I, I, I don't know, maybe I just don't know anything. <laughs> I've been saying he's got bad hands since forever. And according to this, he had one drop. Maybe it was in practice. It kept, I bet that's what it was. We just kept hearing it in practice. I don't know. Anyways, um, we're going to call it right there. So you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.